It all started with a chapstick and a box of tampons. I probably had exact change and I bought a box of tampons and a chapstick. I was looking at the receipt and I noticed that I was paying tax on the tampons, but not the chapstick. And I, I do recall asking the clerk, what, what is this, what's going on? And getting the response that the chapstick had a medical use, it was exempt from tax. Why? Laura Straussfield wondered. Building on the work of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Straussfeld, who was a law student at Columbia at the time, wrote a case that proved that the state was targeting a bodily function associated with women for less favorable treatment. In other words, taxing tampons is discriminatory on the basis of sex. Together with five plaintiffs and a team of lawyers, they filed a class action lawsuit that resulted in the immediate removal of the tax by the state of New York. That was 2016. 30 more states to go. I'm Laura Straussfeld. This is a lesson on equity, period. Laura, what is your earliest memory of being creative? I have an identical twin sister, so that's all we did. We just made stuff together. It became clear when we were young that we had different roles. It's a little shameful to say that I used to sort of work on the ideas and then have her execute them. We talked about me being content and her being form. We just made stuff. That was That's how we define our childhoods together. Oh, that's beautiful. You had a theater background, I noticed, yes. before you co-founded Period Equity and the work that we're going to talk about today. So I want to know about that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I also started a perfume company. Mm -hmm. Been making a lot of stuff. But theater, I started, I can't even remember how many years ago, but I've been writing writing plays and directing for decades. And my latest passion is for Anton Chekhov. I am a Chekhov fanatic. I have been hosting an annual celebration of his birthday for 10 years. And I'm actually working on a book about Chekhov called How to Be Less Miserable. <laughs> so um, Chekhov has saved my life, really. Speaking of being creative with my sister, she she's worked on all of my productions with me. Theater, there, there are too many passions to pursue, but I have gotten to do a lot of theater. The perfume was fun as well. That's when you started to learn about tax. Yeah, so perfume was interesting. I'm allergic to commercial perfume. Me too. Yeah, so I would walk into Macy's on the bottom floor and just start sneezing. sneezing. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I moved to California to pursue some more education, and I was able to smell jasmine and uh, growing on the street and and roses in the rose garden. I lived in Berkeley. Then a lot of people were playing with aromatherapy oils and natural fragrances that I could actually smell and put on my skin and not have an allergic reaction to. And the creative theme for me always involves collaboration, starting with my twin. And so I had a partner. We started really the first all-natural perfume company that was devoted to 
making perfumes as as beautiful to put on your body as a good meal from natural ingredients. And we launched our line at Bergdorf Goodman. We sold at Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue. It was sort of an accidental digression in my life that became a passion because I started to be able to wear fragrance and then I was carrying them around and people wanted some and then I started selling them and and with a friend we we made it a business but I got worried when I wanted to have a child about the safety of even these very natural ingredients that experience of reading up on safety issues and the complete lack of regulation it was stunning to me that when we got our first big order from Bergdorf Goodman at that time, we didn't have a production facility, so we we made those in our kitchen. And you could put anything in a bottle and sell it to people to put on their body and into the air, and the government doesn't care. There's so much in that. First, creatives are so often unexpected entrepreneurs. I find this over and over again, that they, in their creativity and in their desire to solve a problem for themselves using their creativity, it takes fire and then they just kind of roll with that. They roll to whatever next level it's going to be. So it sounds like you had no intention of being an entrepreneur at all. No. No, No. right? Yeah. And then you have to learn how to all of a sudden be an entrepreneur. How did you come to be involved with period equity? I was in law school in the early 1990s. I just moved to New York. Apparently, I'm the only person who looks at receipts, but I probably had exact change and I bought a box of tampons and a chapstick. I was looking at the receipt and I noticed that I was paying tax on the tampons, but not the chapstick. And I I do recall asking the clerk, "What, what is this? What's going on? and getting the response that the chapstick had a medical use. It was exempt from tax. So I went back up to the law library and looked up the law and realized this was in the early 1990s that this was an unconstitutional practice. I wrote up a memo. I tried for decades to get a law firm to help me file a case. What I did notice is that New York State had begun introducing legislation to remove the tax. I was so naive about state law that I just assumed such an obvious injustice would be rectified. And honestly, I moved away. I actually researched a case in California, but but couldn't interest anyone in taking it. Moved back to New York. It was only when my daughter started menstruating that I was like, damn it, this really has to end. You know, all my friends know how angry I am about the tampon tax, and they sent me articles by Jennifer Weiss-Wolf. Jennifer published a piece in back in 2015 and 2016 in the New York Times, Nicholas Kristof's column, and I realized that the time seemed right for people to understand and rally behind taking stronger measures to get rid of the tax. So. I contacted Jennifer and I said, I have a lawsuit. She said, great. And we worked with Emery Chelley, a law firm in New York, and filed a class action lawsuit. And almost immediately, Governor Cuomo 
made a statement saying, you know, we should get rid of the tax. The assembly voted within 10 days to remove it. And then the Senate followed. So it was a very quick response. And it really seemed to tip the balance finally to get the legislature to take action. States collectively make over $150 million annually from taxing menstrual products, which is bananas. It's unconstitutional. Yes. To be taxing. And that's the argument that you're making. This is a classification based on sex. So the state is targeting a bodily function associated with women for less favorable treatment because they're they're not taxing medical necessities for men. And the American Medical Association and everybody else knows that these are medical necessities. Menstrual products are menstrual necessities. Because of that, this is an unconstitutional violation of the Equal Protection Clause. You have a map on the period equity site and taxfreeperiod.com for everybody listening. It's a fantastic site. Wisconsin gun club memberships are untaxed, but period products are. Colorado private jet parts are untaxed. Missouri bingo supplies are untaxed. Hair loss treatment, dandruff shampoo. I mean, the list of ridiculous things goes on, but yet we are taxing women on what is essentially, as you said, a function of our bodies. I'm glad you listed some of the other exemptions, because if you look at different states and what they've exempted, you can begin to piece together what is going on and why menstrual products have not. Jet engine parts. Private Private, jet engine parts. Private jet engine. So who does does that benefit? Well, that's, that's the important thing, is that every one of these things gun club memberships, but there are industries that are taking this on. Yachts, this is outrageous, is that because yachts are so expensive, sales tax on yachts can be a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. So the yacht industry successfully was able to pressure states to cap sales tax in a lot of states. There's issues because if Florida has really good tax treatment. People will buy their yachts in Florida rather than, you know, New York or whatever. We as women have so many issues to battle that we've let this slide. There's now the climate where we will see a lot of states fall. I think back to medical research and how women have been excluded from medical research until it was legislated in the 80s for them to be included. And I think actually it was in the 90s in parts of the United States. So the tax is just really the tip of the iceberg here, isn't it? Absolutely. Is it an accidental injustice? It was maybe when the majority of state legislatures were filled with men. Now we have greater representation of women, but what we've learned is that a lot of the positions of power in state legislatures, which are, you know, powers of the purse, so that the tax policy, the ways and means, whatever they call them, the revenue committees are helmed in large part by men. And so we we need to educate them. And many of them are uncomfortable about having the discussion, isn't that right? Absolutely. I saw that when Representative Grace Meng 
Democrat from New York introduced the Menstrual Equity for All Act, it was written that her coworkers were embarrassed to talk about it. They're like, sure, we'll sign. We just don't want to talk about it anymore. Are the menstrual product companies on board with you in any capacity? Are they helpful? Are they silent? We had a very good collaboration with Lola, which is a, an online period product company that has great products. And now we need another partnership. We are doing their work for them, the work of the period product industry for free. The whole notion of giving away products for free must terrify them. However, they would still have the government as a, as a buyer, right? They would have they would have unlimited resources to fund their companies. So you think that they would get on board, it would be actually smart. It would be a smart marketing move to anybody listening for them to do that. Yeah, they're not getting on board because they're getting the work for free. But I, what I'm saying and saying aloud today is they should pay for it. And they need to pay for it. And they need to pay for it now. Scotland has made products, period products free. Yes. And the argument is that we can't do that in the States because Scotland is a small country. Basically, their population is equivalent to half of New York. How could we give period products away for free? But there is the notion of period poverty and reading stories that women were not, you know, they had to buy diapers. And so they were MacGyvering their tampon, right, with toilet paper because they couldn't afford it. Is that where we're going? I mean, I think tax is making the statement. Is fundamentally, though, the or the goal of the movement to provide free products for every woman? Absolutely. We are seeing government involvement on a level we have not seen. Everybody's getting a free vaccine. We are able to send checks to people we are able to infuse states with trillions of dollars, maybe infuse states with billions of dollars. I don't know the numbers, but this is such a drop in the bucket. And it's so essential to creating what we call menstrual equity, where everybody has equal access to what's available to us in society. And we know that if you don't have what you need when you're menstruating, it's hard to go out in the world. It's hard to go to school. It would certainly be very hard to go on a job interview. It's it really to, to level the playing field to have equity in our society. We do need to provide free products. One of the the new messages I have for the tax free period movement and the campaign is that litigation like we have in Michigan right now, where we are suing based on an unconstitutional tax for a refund, a four-year refund. And in Michigan, that amounts to about $27 million. That this litigation could, if we prevail, fund free products for mm. people in Michigan who need free access to products. So in other words, tampon tax litigation could potentially help alleviate period poverty. My focus these days, in part because I've done such a bad job at it is is money keeping my eye on the money i say i've been doing a bad job at that because period equity we've been unfunded for the last year we lost our funding we keep working but in the past and we we 
mentioned the New York state case in 2016 that did result in the removal of the tax, we voluntarily withdrew the case after that and didn't go after the refund. So you're going to continue to go after the refund because you could be funding a foundation with that. My ideal scenario in Michigan is we prevail on the case and then we go for a refund that can pay for free products for schools, free products for shelters, and then can fund these organizations that are already on the ground that are providing free products for poor women. It's very common to, in a certain realm of feminism, to take out the argument of sex or gender, right? To, to downplay it. But this is one of those areas where it is so evident that we are in fact biologically different. I believe that's where our advantage lies. And so I talk a lot about feminine leadership and that women do, studies have shown, there are values that even men consider more feminine. Now, in the context of the toxic culture, those aren't always positive, but I believe in the context of leadership and in the context of leadership in this moment, the ideals of feminine leadership are very important. What do you think of the notion of feminine leadership? I was thrilled, you know, I was looking to see if I'm eligible for a vaccine yet in New York, and I was given the option of defining myself as male, female, or non-binary. I'm 56 years old. I was so thrilled to declare myself non-binary. We, we talk a lot about how not all women menstruate, that there are people who call themselves women who don't have the bodily function associated with use of tampons and pads. There's a whole community of people who would not feel represented if we said that only women menstruate. Because there are, of course, people who call themselves women who do not menstruate. So that, that's one thing that, that I always sort of take pains to remind people. In terms of feminine leadership, you know, and I've always identified as a feminist, that leadership that represents people who have not historically felt they have a voice is strong leadership and the leadership that I really support and I see more and more. So companies, industries, legislators, people who are female, who are people of color, who are not cisgender white men are very powerful leaders right now. Of course, there are incredible allies, a couple and very important straight white men in my life who are doing extraordinary work. So I value their leadership, but I agree with you in that insofar as feminine leadership, any any leadership that can bring issues like the tampon tax that have been ignored to the table is powerful leadership. This is not about being anti-masculine. I think creatives in particular actually embody the realms of feminine and masculine more fluidly. There's research that shows that. we Creative women are more masculine and creative men can be more feminine. What is interesting is that if we did not 
have so many of us using our voice, there would be no change. And I have been in rooms of, in production, all men, and I'm the only woman. And I realized that the ideas that they have aren't meant to not be inclusive. They're, that's not what they're trying to do. They're simply speaking to their experience. So if we don't have women and women of color or non-binary people or intersex or trans people in the room, then we, we don't have that experience and those ideas communicated. And I too have had very powerful allies and those men have always listened to what I say. I'm pretty vocal, but there are things I have been less vocal about that I am now with this podcast as one of the vehicles speaking more openly about because it is our experience. And I think of so many women who I've spoken to, just regular women, I think there's a belief that you have to be, which is why I love your story so much because you came through so many different channels here. But I think there's a belief that maybe you have to be a Michelle Obama or you have to be somebody who's going to be so visible to actually make change. But studies show that change is less viral. It's much slower and results from tiny choices made by many ordinary women. That's powerful. And if the nurturing of those those silent voices, I notice tends to happen more between and among women. A really interesting way to think about it. And certainly the experience as a woman in society is shared. We've had the experience of being around men. I was, I don't know how much of Adrian Rich you've read and that's sort of my my education is really based on those ideas and everything I experience now I see through this feminist critical lens. As I mentioned, I've been thinking about a lot lately is is women and money. We talk about women in power and but the industries where there are opportunities to make a lot of money are dominated almost exclusively by men. So I, I have been thinking sort of my own, what, what's occupied me just recently is, is this question of, of why are the billionaires male? What about opportunities like Bitcoin and tech boom and, and even in my own life, opportunities to make a lot of money? Why was I not drawn to them in ways that I think and I've seen a lot of old classmates of mine, male classmates have been drawn. There is something about this culture that puts prominence on money as the only currency. And I've been in a, an investor's boot camp of women, and the goals there were cultural. The goals there were to definitely make money, but it was through socially conscious means. And it was through the care of people. Your point, which is interesting to me, if you look at the industries that you could make a lot of money, they're dominated by men. Those industries were created and are of interest in many cases to men. There are industries that we don't even know are industries because there are ideas in women's heads that have not been expressed. And that in this moment, as we express them, 
and we start to, and you see this in Silicon Valley where now women are an opportunity, right? So they're looking for women businesses. We've seen third love, bras reinvented, things that people weren't looking at before because women weren't in the investor space. Cindy Eckert, I saw her speak. She's the creator of the only female Viagra. There's only one product, 26 for men, one for women. As women start to open their eyes and look at these things and then do what you did is just follow unexpectedly your creativity, we're going to see it more. Our goals will be different. And I think about Mackenzie Bezos, but she gets the fortune from Amazon and she gives it away because that is what it shows that women do. And this is my point about feminine leadership. I think we do do it differently. And I think the way we understand power and the, the currencies that will move us forward as, as human beings, I joke about this with some clients. You can't sleep on a spreadsheet. Your bank account doesn't bring you comfort when your family is dying. And so there is something about the way we use money and what we've given value to in this culture that will shift dramatically as more women just use their voices, even in tiny ways. And I know so many smart women with so many ideas who, if they just opened their mouths and just held the belief that their idea could serve, I don't know what we would have in this world. I woke up this morning to the story in The Guardian by Aaron Brockovich about the new book called Countdown with the estimate that sperm counts and fertility is on a trajectory to zero by 2045 due to phthalates, PCBs, and a lot of the chemicals and toxins that I keep an eye on in period equity through the other work that we do in secretly, but now you know, testing products, period products with other environmental groups. The leadership of predominantly men has led us to the point where we are literally close to extinction. And now we need leadership that will enable us to survive. And women will play a big role in that. I agree. You have now 20 states that have eliminated the tax right. and 30 remain. Your call to women is to use their voice. So locally, what would be something that a woman could do? Well, first and foremost, if a woman lives in a state that taxes tampons, she can call her local state representative and see what's going on. Tell them that she's not happy with this. That's the number one thing you can do is, is just tell the people you've elected what you feel about these issues. And what if they're embarrassed? Because I, I do believe, again, there is still that sense of people not wanting to talk about feminine issues, which is why I believe they've gone untended for so long in this culture. Yeah, we really need to overcome being embarrassed because if we're not gonna talk about it, they're definitely not gonna talk about it. you complete the sentence my wish for every other woman is my wish for every other woman is to value themselves enough to get credit get paid not only take a leadership role in 
whatever way they can, but look for them, seek them out, and come forward and be part of the solution that we're looking for to so many global, existentially horrifying problems in the world. We, we need to work together, and this is a nice circle back to how we started the conversation, that my first instances of creativity in my life were with my twin. We kind of all need to be twinning and working together to make the world not only better, but you know, to survive and for our kids. I think the vaccines are a really hopeful sign that of communities around the world coming together to find a solution to universal problems. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com. Oh.